I'm a fairy? How fucking lame. Fairy is but one of the names. What other names are there? Fenadrea, Elalon, the old people. Aliens. God fucking damn it. I really am an alien. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this is episode 20 of season 4, Lily. Which means that it's chapter 9 of book 6, Cheaper by the Coven. More importantly, it's Cheaper by the Coven, and we are down to one person in this coven. This is a one-person coven. It's a woven. Yep, it's just Maleficent, all by her lonesome. Although... Maleficent, Emma, and Regina could run off and form their own trio. Mm. Just saying. Or someone else, because as the recap reminds us, Lily is a person who exists. Lily, you might remember, is the teen girl Emma had teen girl shenanigans with back in her runaway days. Shenanigans. Also, Selena killed Maid Marian and has been pretending to be her... And she's with Robin Hood in New York, and Regina knows about that, and she's super honked off. Also, Emma killed Corella DeVille. Yay! I mean, it's supposed to be bad because this is what's putting Emma on the path to being evil or something, but... Eh, she had Emma's son at gunpoint. I mean, that's like incredibly basic exception to killing. It's the most justifiable homicide that you could justify. So... Back in the past in fairy tale land, the sorcerer's apprentice is talking to the sorcerer, who is a bunch of colored lights, and might be Merlin. Neither of us remembers. I really don't. Man, I can't wait to get to the Merlin King Arthur. It's coming up so soon. Ah, oh. uh, Merlin is like the best. He has such a great story, and he's so pretty. You know the really important stuff. Yes. So, I'm trying to remember, is this what the sorcerer looks like in Fantasia? I think we only see his hands, but I'm not sure. The sorcerer in Fantasia is, if I remember my Disney lore correctly, Yinsid, which I don't know if you know this, uh, but Yinsid, do you know what the deal with Yinsid is? It's Disney backwards. It's Disney backwards. Uh, wait, is that, that's in Fantasia? I just thought that was in the terrible Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, you mean with the Merlinites and the Morganians and uh, Jay Burchill, who I like him. I like him. I wish he was in more stuff. I should watch that TV show he's in. I'll get he's to He's in it. a TV show? You know the one where he has all the, like, imagined spots? Oh, yeah. Man-Seeking Woman? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's based on a book of short stories that I that I actually really enjoyed uh, called, called Last Girlfriend on Earth. Hmm. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a thing I only know because I own that book digitally. And Barnes & Noble really creepily changed the cover of the book when the TV show came out. I hate that. It's the worst thing. I don't... It's bad when they... Let me imagine what PETA looks like. But also, it's really weird when you own the book digitally and then it changes. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So the Sorcerer's Apprentice fills in the colored lights on what happened with, with Baby Death Pit. And the colored lights are like, 
So we should take care of the whole author situation, right? Okay, so did this scene feel weird to you? Because it felt weird to me. It feels really disconnected from everything else that happened. Did it feel to you because it felt to me? Like, they realized they'd created a bunch of plot holes and they just stuck the Sorcerer's Apprentice there to, like, plug them up? Yes, because the Sorcerer's Apprentice clarifies that by trapping the author in this book, he can no longer change stories, he can only record them. Because obviously he wrote down a bunch of stuff that happened after he was trapped in the book. Okay, so that's that's good. And then, spoiler, for the end of this episode, he's going to pop back up again to fill Lillian on the plot of this television show so that she's up to speed and we don't have to go through a whole rigmarole with her. Which, now that I say out loud, I'm kind of grateful for, even though it feels like a cheat because it's so clunky. Yeah, it's... The Sorcerer's Apprentice is here to jam plot holes shut, which is actually kind of an interesting idea if you think of him as someone who is necessary to make up for what the author has messed up. Huh. Like, the universe abhors a story vacuum, so they need someone to jam the plot hole shut. Wow. Now I'm... Okay. You're talking me around to being okay with this very clunky expositional device. Yeah, that's why English was always my favorite subject, because if you try hard enough, you can basically bullshit anything. Yeah, we used to joke at my college that a degree in in literature was basically just a degree in bullshitting. Mm. Hey, that's weird. That's what an art degree is, too. What degrees aren't bullshit? Math. I think math is, like, the one thing you can't bullshit. I think at higher levels, everything is bullshit. Oh, yeah. Once you get to the kind of theoretical mathematics that make, you know, you lose all contact with reality, then... It's just bullshit. But before that, intermediate advanced math. (laughs) Intermediate advanced math, the only true thing. Back in the real world, Corella is having the saddest funeral ever. In literally a pine box. Which, I mean, the funeral industry is a scam in a lot of ways. There's So being buried in a plain pine box is fine. Yeah, it's, it's really creepy. It preys on grief in this just really unsettling way. But also the idea that Cruella, who was so obsessed with material possessions, would end up buried in a plain pine box is itself kind of a sad irony. Mm. There are three people at her funeral. The three people are, respectively, Rumpelstiltskin, the author, and somebody whose face we don't see. That's weird. Yeah, some, we see someone kneeling down in front of her coffin, but we never get to see who that person is. Do you think that was cut? Do you think there was a, do you think the scene was maybe a little longer and we saw who it was at some point? It's very weird. The person's only in the establishing shot, the person who's kneeling next to her uh, coffin, but... I think, I think it's Dr. Hopper. Mm. That would make sense. He is sort of the general guy who does all the stuff in town. Yeah, he's kind of the master of ceremonies. Yeah, remember when he uh, had to do the introductions at the sheriff debate in season one? Yeah! 
And then he made all of those jokes about being Jiminy Cricket, which made no sense because he didn't know he was Jiminy Cricket. And, and also he, he's terrible. And he made a bunch of mirror puns, which also makes no sense. Yeah, w- about Sidney Glass. I mean, I, I get it because his last name was Glass. Yeah. He also married Belle and Rumpel. Dr. Hopper, not Sidney Glass, who is gone now. Yeah. Bye, Gus Ring. Oh. Anyway, I, I, I'm pretty sure that we missed a different shot where he was presiding over the funeral. Yeah. The funeral is a very... Stayed affair. Yeah, it's basically the author going, boy, it sucks Corella's dead. And Rumpel's like, yeah, but she needed to die to put Emma on the path to darkness. And then they zoom out to show Emma watching the funeral like a creeper from the woods. Yeah. And remember how last episode we were talking about how they were doing the no makeup thing because she was on the path to evil? Mm-hmm. Now she has the heavy eyeliner of a dark path. She looks fine. She looks great. The dark eyeliner of turning evil is sexy on anyone all the time, always. Yeah, she's got the hard, angry look of someone who is there because of contractual obligations. I'm really excited to talk about the first part of next season. Absolutely. The first part of Dark Emma is super fun. So Emma goes from Corella's funeral to Granny's. where the To tr- Granny's diner, not to Granny's funeral. She goes to Granny's diner where the Charmings, Henry, Hook, and Regina are. She's filling them in on the situation. Cruella's dead. Emma's not going down the path to darkness because she did what she had to do. And Mary Margaret's all, you have to be careful, Emma. We did so much to make sure that you don't, uh, that you didn't turn evil. And if you turn evil now, then we threw that baby into a death pit for nothing. I really like that Emma's standing her ground here and being like, no, that morality is stupid. It wasn't bad of me to kill Cruella. Moving on. I was defending my child in a much more real way than you were, because I know they were defending their child too, but there was there was a woman who had a gun to her child's head versus, oh no, we have to actually raise our kid to not be shitty unless we throw this baby into a death pit. Speaking of throwing babies into pits. Yes. Uh, the mother of said pit baby shows up, and Granny's is technically a tavern, right? Granny's is a tavern? It's, yeah, because it's it's whatever you need it to be. Yeah. They serve alcohol, and it's where you recruit new party members. Oh, yes. Maleficent has joined your party. Yes. Except not really. Maleficent well, isn't really joining their party. Actually, what she's doing is showing up to give them the adventure hook, which is another thing that happens in taverns. Yes. Ah, By the way, I love how happy Regina is to see Maleficent. Because Maleficent comes in and she's all, Okay, so it turns out we have a common foe, Rumpelstiltskin. And David's all like, Oh, but she resurrected you. And Maleficent's like, Yeah, to get what he wanted. Like, look what happened to Corella who was working with him. Yeah, she's... It's funny how Maleficent knows what no one else in this show seems to learn, which is that Rumpelstiltskin is only out for Rumpelstiltskin. You are not doing yourself any favors thinking that he is in an alliance with you. Yeah. Also, I love how David and Mary Margaret think that they have anything to contribute to this conversation. Maleficent just cold shoulders them and is like, you threw my daughter into a pit. She's basically only talking to Emma in this scene. She walks up to Emma and she says, what I need you to do is I need you to find my daughter. And Mary Margaret's like, wait, she didn't die after we threw her to a death pit? And Maleficent's like, not talking to you. 
Yes, she did not die. In fact, she was adopted in Minnesota. And named Lilith. Hey, didn't we meet another character named Lilith? Gosh, I you know, I feel like I vaguely remember, like, in the past, Emma maybe having a girl-girl teen friendship with someone named Lilith. I, I, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? Like It, it was sounds, in the show, like, or... vaguely familiar. Maybe, maybe it Are was in the sure recap. Are you sure it was this show? Maybe, maybe not. I... We do watch a lot of shows about female friendship. I, you know what? I think we're thinking about Lily from How I Met Your Mother. I'm never thinking about Lily from How I Met Your Mother. But joking aside, I really like how Emma has picked up Henry's story savviness. She's like, ah, I'm in a story. Clearly the Lilith who was important in my childhood is the Lilith that is Maleficent's daughter because that's how stories work. Yeah. Efficiency of characters. Speaking of season one, she's counting on Emma's past as a... Bounty hunter? Bonds person to uh, find her daughter. She's like, I need you to find Lily. Which is cool because the show used to be about Emma being a detective. And we do immediately jump from this scene to Emma flipping through microfiche. Which is such a great detective thing. Especially because literally no one does that anymore. You can't even find microfiche anymore. Yeah. She magically finds a picture with the adoption announcement that has... Lily, it's a really blown out black and white picture of a baby, but luckily... You can see Lily's distinctive star-shaped birthmark on her wrist. Mm. Even in the blown out picture. Which is actually nice because that serves also to remind us that Lily has a very distinctive star-shaped birthmark on her wrist, which we might need to know later on in this episode. Which, thank God, because otherwise we would have no identifying features for Lily. Well, I mean, it's true. Because she's played by three different actresses. I mean, if you count the baby in the blown out picture. Yeah. Are adoption announcements a thing? I don't see why they wouldn't be. I mean, it's just like a birth announcement, right? Are those a thing? Oh, yeah. My parents uh, put one for me in the New York Times. It's kind of cool. Oh, right. You're from New England. Is that not a thing in Florida? No, I think it's probably a New England thing. Which is okay, because that's where... Wait, she's in Minnesota. Whatever. Every place in Once Upon a Time is Boston. She's rich. Or her family's rich, so they probably would. Do that kind of thing. Sure, sure. So we go to Teen Emma in a house with a creepy Pat Boonish quality to it. Yeah. Okay, so Teen Emma has apparently found a foster family. And she's packing up for a camping trip. For her very first camping trip. Yep. She's got a dad in a sweater vest and there's a mom in a sweater with a folded collared shirt over it and there are two boys i I think the word for what the mother is wearing that you're looking for is sweater set because it is i shouldn't say this because i never actually watched it but i'm getting a real seventh heaven vibe here Ooh, same on both counts i have not watched it and i'm getting that same creepy vibe This show doesn't actually do a lot to make you distrust this family. I don't know how much of this is my own prejudice, but this family is definitely giving me bad vibes. I am totally on Lily's side with everything that happens in this episode. Speaking of Lily, uh, they send Emma to the garage to pick up something for the camping trip. A sleeping bag, I think. Sleeping bag. 
And what does she find in the garage? But <gasps> a gal pal. Yeah, it's her old girlfriend, Lily, who she is this close to branding with a bat. Well, because she just hears a noise. So she, I don't know, probably thinks it's a rat or something. Mm. But then she sees that it's Lily, which, wow, that's a strange coincidence. I do not like the hat Lily's wearing. It's a ski, it's a ski mask that she has pulled up to the top of her head so that you can see her face. Later on, we'll see it pulled down over her full face, Mm. but it makes it look weird when it's basically just sitting on the top of her head. So Emma's still pretty honked off. About Uh, the whole going on a crime spree with a fellow orphan only to find out that they've actually been adopted by a really rich family and are just using you to have some excitement in their boring, safe lives. Yeah. She's basically like a tourist in what Emma is forced to live every day. Yeah, which, understandable. But new adopted dad, I'm going to call him Glenn. He's got a real Glenn Glenn quality. Yeah. So Glenn comes in and he's like, Emma, who the fuck is this? And she's like, oh, this is Lily, my friend. And he's all, but you don't have any friends. And Lily says, oh, we were in the same foster home together. I just moved into this neighborhood. And she says she wanted to come by and surprise Emma. So you were going to surprise her by sneaking into her garage. That doesn't make the sneaking into the garage thing less creepy, right? Nope, but Glenn just rolls with it. Well, I guess because he's a creeper. So sneaking into people's garages is something he can relate to. So back in Storybrooke, Regina goes to check on Emma, and Emma shows her new girlfriend pictures of her old girlfriend. Mm. Weirdly enough, not the video. Well, she's already shown her the video. Has she? Oh, yeah. You know what? She didn't. She only showed it to... She showed it to... Hook. Hook, but she didn't show it to Regina. Yeah, she just showed the part of the video that had the ice screen on it. Right, right. But Regina's like, oh, yeah, I remember you uh, telling me about her back when I, like, very, very briefly had the Elsa role in the uh, Frozen storyline for, like, an episode before it went to you. She's like, yeah, I remember you telling me that you had a friend that you pushed away. And guess what? Stories are a bitch. Turns out she's an important part of your story. Just like when I accidentally adopted your son because you're an important part of my story. Yeah. She talks a lot about fate here. It's called fate. It's great. That's an easy way to remember it. I don't think we mentioned it, but when the sorcerer's apprentice was talking to the sorcerer, it came out that Emma and Lily's futures, destinies, fates, whatever were bound up with each other even before the author made David and Mary Margaret throw the baby in the death pit. Yes, the two of them have an interwoven destiny. The two of them are both part of each other in a way that means that they're going to be together forever, which is why Lily will be an important part of the show for basically forever. She's like a main character from this point on. You will remember her name. Well, I mean, you probably will, slowly. Yeah, it's it's a pretty easy name to remember. But, yeah, I mean, even before the author fucked with things, Lily was always going to be part of Emma's story. Mm. Let's see how that shakes out post uh, this season. Uh, yeah, no. Spoiler alert, Lily will disappear at the end of this season, and we will never see her ass. Or even, she, she, you know what? She gets grammed. She's never... Well, we know what happened to Graham. Okay. Oh, you mean that no one will ever speak of her again? Yeah. Yeah. So Emma decides that she is going to go with Regina into the real world. They have separate missions, but they can do them both at the same time. 
ish, where they were going to find Lily for Maleficent and stop Zelina from killing Robin Hood or Yeah, whatever her plan is with Robin Hood. Wait a second. Yes? Okay, so why don't they just call Robin Hood and tell him what's going on? Yeah. Zelina doesn't have magic there. Also, it's not like they have like Zelina already knows that Regina knows about them. No, she she doesn't. Yeah, they talked on the phone. That's how oh, Regina found out yeah, about it. Yeah, you're right. Why did she take Belle's heart? What is happening? Yeah, she took Belle's heart as insurance to stop Rumple from interfering. But Rumple wouldn't care. Rumple doesn't give a shit. In Selena the- didn't even tell him not to tell Regina about this. There was literally no reason for her to steal Belle's heart. So the author's concerned about Emma going out into the real world. He's like, don't we need her to be here to go evil? And Rumple's like, no. Rumple's like, newsflash, you can turn evil in New York City. <laughs> or Lowell, Massachusetts, which is where Lily is. Can you turn evil in Lowell, Massachusetts? I don't know. I I feel like I've been there, but I can't really remember. It's one of the places that's like just outside of Boston. There's like 17 places that are just outside of Boston because Boston's a pretty big area. Got it. But he's got business to take care of. Personal business. Meanwhile, Emma is saying goodbye to Hook and Hook's like, Hey, be sure not to turn evil out there on the road. And I was like, I'm not going to turn evil. Get off my balls, dude. But he gets all mushy about it and is like, I came back from the brink of being so evil because I fell in love with you. He talks about how he was good once, which not really. You worked for the military of an evil empire. England? Not England. It was absolutely England, but okay. England doesn't have Pegasi. Not anymore. They killed it to make that sale. He might be from some alternate England, but he's not from England, England. Okay. Anywho. So uh, he tells her that he was a righteous and good man once, but it's easier to go down the path of darkness because vengeance feels like justice, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, whatever. I'm fine. Shut up. And she kisses him and gets into the car with uh, her girlfriend. Yeah. Who has brought the Snow Queen scroll with her so they get back into Storybrooke. Hmm, good thinking. Yes, very smart. Although, if I was Regina, I would load up on all sorts of magical objects. Because we know magic objects still work outside of, uh... Storybrooke? Well, I don't know. Just, like, enchant a ring to shoot fire out of it. Ooh, can you make a magic item in Storybrooke and bring it out with you? Or does it have to be something that was already magic that came over with the curse? Well, we know Rumple enchanted that scarf to uh, keep his memories when he goes into the world without magic. Oh, that's true. Okay, so I guess you could just make a shit ton of potions inside Storybook and bring them with you. Yeah. Yeah, she should have done that. But Emma's freaking out because uh, Lily is in Lowell, which is less than 30 miles outside of Boston. And she's like, how could it be that we grew up together in a completely different part of the country and then we ended up so close to each other? And Regina's like, yeah. Fate. Intertwined destinies. It's a bitch. Also, that's really not that unusual, Emma. This one time, when I was a kid, I went on a Caribbean cruise with my parents. And we're on some island. And there was a guy there who was wearing a shirt that had the name of my hometown on it. 
because it turned out he had lived there for like 30 years. He'd been there for like 30 years. Uh-huh. And he just went out and ended up on this island, and he happened to be wearing that shirt on the same day we were there. Huh. The world is not as large a place as you'd think. Like when I was in Rome and I was in a museum and I ran into a guy who went to the same college as me, like in my, who was in my class in college, um, while I was out while I was in Rome. Yeah. Like it's really not that huge of a coincidence. And Boston is a giant person hub. It's very easy to end up near Boston. And it's not like she ended up in your town. It's not like she was in your building. Oh, yeah. She was within a 30-mile radius of the place you lived. Lots of people live within a 30-mile radius of where you live, Emma. Anyway, back in the flashback. They're all praying over their Mr. Cluck's chicken for dinner. And Lily is looking around the room, which has, you know, prayer boards and a chore wheel. and And really terrible hotel room art. And she's all, so, you guys are square as hell, huh? She's doing the thing where she insults them by complimenting them. She's like, you have such a lovely Christian home. Hey, Emma, remember that time we totally finger-banged at the lake house? And Emma's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) And then, just in case you forgot about her star birthmark, one of the foster parents' bio kids is like, hey, what's wrong with your arm? And she's like, it's a... It's a birthmark. It's a birthmark that looks like a star. Yeah. It's... Not that weird. I Honestly, I'm surprised he would notice, except it's very important to the plot that we know that that's a thing. They're really hammering it in between us seeing it on in that baby picture of her and it being conspicuous and elongatedly pointed out here. Yeah, they really want to be sure you notice it. Anyway, then the parents, who you've decided to call Glenn, and I think I'm going to call the woman Linda. Yeah. Glenn and Linda. So then Glenn and Linda are like, oh, Lily, it's so nice that you and Emma have friends. And Lily, like, isn't even looking at them anymore. She's literally staring deep into Emma's eyes right now. And is like, yeah, we're really important to each other. She's very important in my life. I'm so glad she's back in my life. We were so lucky to find each other. When we met each other, it was like instant chemistry, friend chemistry. That is. And, and Emma's just like, okay, we gotta get the fuck out of here. And she drags Lily into the kitchen. And she's like, you can't do this. You can't ruin my life again. I've got this new family that have very strict rules. I know this isn't the narrative they're pulling because they're they're doing a whole, you're a bad girl and you're going to ruin my good family. But honest to God, it comes up like they were dating and she's afraid that this is going to uh, get her kicked out of this family. I mean, yeah. They're very, I'm getting a very specific vibe off of these foster parents. And it's the kind of vibe that would not be too pleased if Emma had brought an ex-girlfriend into the house. Yeah, we might be projecting a bit, but I think it sort of makes the story more interesting too. I mean, there's, it's, it's not explicitly stated, but it's there. It's in the story. So, Emma's really mad. She's like, my foster parents can't find out that I was shoplifting Pop-Tarts, that I was in trouble. Because she was, I think this is another thing that makes me really dislike the foster parents in this episode. Like, they know that Emma was starving on the street, but she's afraid that if they find out what she had to do to survive, 
they will judge her as evil and throw her out. And this is not Emma projecting based on what we see later in this episode. Yeah. So, fortunately, the... The TV is tuned to the exposition channel. Okay, what TV is this? She pulled Lily into the kitchen, and this is the little tiny counter TV. Why is it on? Oh, well. I I know it's on for exposition purposes. It seems weird that they would have a TV going in the next room when no one's there. I mean, it's the TV that you watch while you're cooking dinner. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean... I guess someone forgot to turn it off, but yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be on right now. It's like the writers don't even give a fuck anymore. But. Oh, we should talk about what it exposits. Oh, yeah. Turns out Lily robbed a convenience store. Eh, It doesn't matter. She robbed something. Yes. They have footage of her wearing that very conspicuous ski mask we saw earlier in the episode. Okay, so Lowell, Massachusetts must have been so fucking pissed at their betrayal here. Yeah, we cut to the present, and the hotel where Lily is living... Or tenement building. It looks like the... Well, I said hotel. You're right, it's a tenement building of some sort. I said hotel because it really reminds me of the creepy hotel from Barton Fink. Mm. Apparently, Lily was crashing in this filthy hovel place, and Regina's all, ugh, I don't know why I bothered crafting the curse when there's a place like Lowell, Massachusetts... Which is and there's a great a, line. I mean... And there's a little Chiron that says, Lowell, did Lowell do something to piss off the writers of Once Upon a Time? It's so funny. I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. They're, this episode is really mean, and I have no knowledge of Lowell, so maybe it's quite pleasant. But between this tenement building and the truck stop that we see, not a great picture. Yeah, it's not like it's Revere. I, I, I'm that joking. means nothing to me. Yeah, Revere's fine. I mean... Uh, I did see a guy with an open knife wound on the beach there once, but it was super gross. Yeah, that sounds gross. And he wasn't doing anything about it. It sounds like a really great way to get an infection. Anyway, so there's a filthy, disgusting man in the filthy, disgusting tenement who's like, oh, Lily, she's super dead. She was this, like, piece of garbage person who no one liked, and then she died in a drunk driving accident. Sucks for her. If only she had had even one friend who didn't push her away, who had been there for her when she was at her darkest hour, maybe then she would still be alive. But she didn't. No one cared about her, and now she is definitely dead. And I was like, I will beat you down, motherfucker. I will kill you with my two bare hands. And Regina's like, but then you'd have to touch him. Uh, Regina's like, don't go evil over him. Y'all... Emma is so close to going evil right now. She is, like, on the knife's edge. Ugh, whatever. She nearly she nearly punched a dude. I'm sorry, David murders, like, four people to get his coffee in the morning. Okay, she would not have stopped with punching him. She definitely would have killed him once she had the bloodlust. Oh, no, she'd be her father's daughter. Okay, yeah, never mind. I heard it. Yeah, that <laughs> would be awful. Back in Storybrooke, Belle, who has this weird perm thing... I don't know what is up with her hair. I think maybe her hair her hair is curly, but I think maybe her hair is always curly and she just straightens it usually. It, it's it's better straight on, but from this side she's got this weird beauty pageant hair thing going on. It's pretty big in this episode. 
But anyway. She has a flirty little scene with Will Scarlet before she flounces off to babysit Ashley's baby. No, to babysit David and Mary Margaret's baby. Oh. Which, why? What are they doing that they can't look after their own damn kid for 10 seconds? Yeah, especially because they're supposed to be keeping an eye on Henry. Like, what? Maybe... Maybe she's, maybe she's not babysitting. Maybe she's literally keeping an eye on the baby because everybody's like, all right, they threw one baby into a pit. And, and so then now they just have to have somebody watching them at all times to make sure they don't throw their baby into a pit. Anyway, while they've been having their little lover scene. Rumpel's been standing in the back room watching them. And as soon as Belle leaves, he's like, where I'm from, it's polite for a man to ask another man before using his property. Yeah, it's... Not okay. Yeah, it's super gross. Not great. Will does very well for himself here. He's like, hey, if you want to come at me, bro, come at me. But I have to warn you, I'm scrappy. Okay, I totally get why you love Will Scarlet. He's great. And then Rumpel starts calling him Scrappy, which is the worst nickname. It is, but that's okay. Anyway, he says that he wants him to steal Belle's heart. And Will Scarlet's all like, done and done. (laughs) And then Rumpel explains the plot to him, and Will Scarlet's like, that plot makes no sense. Why would Regina have taken Belle's heart? How come I didn't notice that Belle doesn't have a heart? She doesn't seem to be acting any differently. And Rumpel's like, be that as it may, you need to go get the heart back because Maleficent is guarding it. Yes, Regina left it in Maleficent's care because... Yeah, okay, but that means at some point she said to Maleficent, oh, by the way, I stole Belle's heart, please keep an eye on it. And does Emma know that she has Belle's heart? Like, for somebody who's supposedly on the path to redemption, it seems like no one has said to her, stop stealing hearts. Eh. All right, I guess I'm alone here. If Belle's not going to object to anything that happens to her, I mean, if she doesn't care, why should we care? Yeah, fair enough. So Rumpel threatens Will. He's like, you better help me get Belle's heart back or I'm going to kill you. And I was like, fine, whatever. So... In the car with Regina and Emma, Regina's all, so do we want to talk about you nearly beating that dude to death? And Emma's like, no, we shouldn't talk about this. And Regina's like, I really feel like we should talk about it. And Emma's like, I don't want to talk about it. Also, as I just pointed out, Regina's got that chick's heart. Maybe she's not in a position to talk. But this gets interrupted by a wolf in the road. Yeah, so there's a wolf in the road, which causes Emma to crash her car, a la... First episode. Right. And I think that this wolf is Graham's ghost leading her to Lily. Because it's not Graham's wolf, bro, which had very distinct... Did it have the two different colored eyes? It had two different colored eyes, yeah. It would have been nice if Graham's wolf, bro, had stuck around to try to resolve things after death. I suppose this could be like ghost of Graham. Yeah. I choose to believe that this wolf is the ghost of Graham. All right. Okay. So they have a very minor car accident. God, it's been so long since we had a car accident. I know. I mean, I guess we had like a little one in season uh, <laughs> with the in the frozen season, but it's weird that we got through an entire chunk with Cruella without a car accident because, I mean, driving recklessly is one of her defining features. So Emma's like, "Oh my God, it's fate! Fate sent this wolf, just like it did in the first episode of season one." And Regina, who's been all like, yeah, fate. Fate is a big deal. It's like, come on. Wolves aren't fate. 
Fate. What's fate anyway? It's a somehow they got a flat from swerving to avoid the wolf. I think she like when she drove off the road, she messed up her tire. Mm. Anyway, Emma walks over to the diner and because luckily they're pretty close to a diner. Yeah, so Emma's gonna walk into the diner and get some coffee, and Regina's gonna go to the service station attached to the diner and get a tire. And Regina's all sarcastic, like, "Oh, maybe your fate's in the diner," and it turns out, totally is. Yeah, because who should be pouring coffee uh, for Emma but a woman named Starla, who's got a star birthmark on her uh, wrist. So she just went with her first thought for Alias, huh? Hmm. Hmm. I'm always curious in fiction when people have a hard time coming up with a fake name right off the cuff. Because who doesn't have an alias immediately at the ready? So anyway, uh, back in the flashback, Emma's telling Lily that she needs to get the fuck out of her Glenn and Linda house. That she will give Lily money to leave. And Lily's like, I can't leave. All of my stuff is with the guy who made me rob the gas station with him, including a necklace. A necklace that's the only thing I have from my mother, which Lily knows how to get to Emma. Yeah, and Emma's like, okay, so get it and leave. And she's like, I can't get it. I can't risk running into that guy. And Emma's like, fine, I'll get it. So we cut back to adult Emma and adult Lily. The last scene ended with an Emma-Lily confrontation, so... Now we can cut to Emma confronting Lily outside of the diner. And Emma's like, you're not Starla. You're Lily. Emma's all, I'm Emma. Remember that girl who stabbed you in the back that one time? Given what we're going to find out at the end of this episode, I don't understand why Lily's bothering to lie to her at all. Yeah, I don't get this. I feel like a lot of the stuff that happens in these episodes is just sort of to fill time. It's almost like it wasn't completely thought out. Hmm. Anyway, Emma's like, you are Lily and I know this. And Lily's like, fine, you got me. I'm Lily. Whatever. I was in a bad situation. I needed to get out. I changed my identity. I have a life here. Please go away. I have a loving husband and daughter. Mm. And hey, doesn't Emma occasionally have a superpower that lets her know when people are lying? She does. She does. Anyway, the school bus pulls up and Lily goes to a little girl on the school bus and kneels down next to her and is like, Hey, it's me, the waitress from the diner. I will give you a cheeseburger if you smile and pretend I'm your mommy. Free burgers for a week. Which Oh, I'm sorry. It's a week of burgers. That's definitely worth stranger danger. And this little girl just goes with it, which, not smart. Well, I mean... I guess she figures if, she'll get ki- if she gets kidnapped, it'll be easy to find this woman. She lives within, the bus just dropped her off, so she lives within walking distance of that, of that diner. She and her parents probably come into that diner a lot. She probably knows Lily fairly well. So Lily and this random little girl walk off waving to Emma. They're like, we're fine. You don't have to look into this any further. And Emma's like, yeah, no, that's bullshit. So Maleficent. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Introduce the scene. Tell the people, tell the people what's happening. So, Maleficent is just chilling like a villain in, oh. Re- yes, in Regina's office when who should come in? Examining the rattle, the, the rattle that is all that she has left of her child. Mm. 
when who should come in but Mary, Margaret, and David. Oh, my God. I know, right? And they're like, hey, we were so busy thinking about how we needed to earn Emma's forgiveness. We forgot that, you know, I guess we sort of screwed you over, too. I guess we should apologize. Okay, so I really like Maleficent here because she could just tell them to fuck off and leave and would be totally justified. But instead, she just twists the knife and is like, I think you really need to apologize to the human being whose life you ruined. I think you need to look Lily in the eyes and say, hey, sorry that you had to grow up on the street in this terrible situation that you couldn't get out of because you had all this darkness inside of you. Mm, And she points out here, which will come up a couple more times in the episode, that as inherent as we would like to believe that villainy is, part of it is that your life is bad and that what and that's what makes you a villain. And if villainy was really inherent, if heroism was really inherent, they wouldn't have had to put all of Emma's evil inside of Lily. So by putting all of Emma's evil inside of Lily, what they did really was doom her. They made it so that everything would go wrong to put her into the position where she would become bad. Which, I mean, I guess that sort of goes against the whole Corella was just born evil thing, but it is a thing we've seen. There are formative causes, generally, to people becoming villains in this show. Well, I mean, I think that, I think both can be true. I think people can, for the most part, be the product of the things that happen to them, but also you can just have Corella DeVille. Yeah, but she's like, I'm not forgiving you, and what makes you think Lily's going to? Right? Also, you, like, sucked all the milk of human kindness out of her, so... All of the stuff that would make Emma into a villain, you put into Lily. So, in the real world, Emma swiped Starla's time card. Lily's time card. Because she used her superpower to tell that Lily was lying. And that she's going to find Lily and help her whether she wants it or not. Ooh, you can't do that. No. So, in the past... Emma is also trying to help Lily, although this time it's what Lily asked for. Yep, she's breaking into the place that Lily was crashing with her boyfriend, apparently. Yeah, her uh, her squat or whatever. And she gets Lily's My Very First Experimentation with Witchcraft necklace. Yes, it's a crescent moon. I definitely had this necklace as a angsty teen. I probably still have it because I have a little box in the garage that has all of my angsty teen jewelry. Yeah. But Emma sneaks back into the Glenn and Linda house with Lily's uh, necklace. And who should be waiting for her but... Glenn and Linda! Yep. Glenn and Linda were up waiting for her because they're on to her. They know that she's a sneaky girl who's friends with bad people who... Well, I mean, to be fair, Lily stole all their vacation money. Oh, right. How much money do you need to go camping? Oh, right? Okay, well, they probably have to pay for the campsite. It's probably like $500. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah. Anyway, they called the cops on her. Or when they called the cops on her, they found out that she was part of an armed robbery. And Emma's like, I know that's why I was trying to get her out of here. And they're like, oh, so you willingly brought an armed criminal into our house. With our children. Endangering our children. And Emma's like, okay, I get it. I'll leave. 
I get it, I'm not your child. Ugh, the way they respond to this is just, I mean, she was obviously uncomfortable with Lily being around. This is, like, I, I, on a practical level, I see where they're coming from, but you had, like, have they never fostered a kid before? They have such a lack of empathy for her situation. Emma was clearly in a no-win situation, and she was trying to get she was trying to get her friend out of there and away from you. I don't know what I don't know what they could have conceivably expected a person in Emma's situation to do. Like I know what they want is for Emma to have like narked on Lily immediately, but that's not that's not how people work. And and even if it, not only is that not how people work, but Emma was not raised in a situation where she could rely on authority figures. So to ask her to do that now is... Basically, they're asking her to have the background of somebody who has grown up in a secure environment. When we were fostering this teen runaway, we didn't know that she'd have issues. Or that she, you know, might have done some questionable things to survive when she was a teen runaway on the street. I mean, she was really obviously, even from an outside perspective, trying to get this person away from your family. Ugh. Which... Which, FYI, she did. Yeah. So, basically, fuck Glenn and Linda. I know they didn't really do much in this episode to earn the amount of ire we have for them, but no, bad foster parents. Yeah, fuck Glenn and Linda. Fuck Glenn and Linda. So, back in the present, Emma and Regina are breaking into Lily's house, which also not well decorated. Also, it's got the kind of dingy feel of a place that's only temporary. Yeah. It's not a home, it's a place to sleep. Yeah, it's, it's, yes, exactly. So, Emma, as she's ransacking Lily's crap shack, is like, we need to tell her everything, but I'm not sure that she's going to believe us. I mean, it took me forever to believe, and I was in Storybrooke, and Regina's like, uh... Check out that Pepe Silvia board. Because... That sure is a lot of string. That sure is a lot of string and a lot of fairy tale stuff. I love the way she has, like, all of these connections between old German woodcuts of Snow White and, like, a map of Maine. The She had to just have that set up for Emma so Emma could see it and know that she knew what was up. There's no way that would be helpful in any way. Well, especially because we're going to see she already, she didn't figure any, oh my god, I don't. She didn't figure any, it's not like she was doing research and she's like, oh my god, fairy tales are real. The Sorcerer's Apprentice told her, spoiler alert for the end of the episode. Yeah. He told her everything. Maybe this was just like an art project that she did when she got bored. But she steals the bug that has, uh, she steals Emma's bug, which has the magical charm that lets you get into Storybrooke. Oops. And I was like, shit, she's going to get into Storybrooke and murder my parents. I... Which is like, problem solved, right? Seriously. But no, instead she breaks into Lily's car and drives after her. I really don't like this about face that Emma has where she's like, oh no, Lily wants to kill my parents because of the terrible, unforgivable thing my parents did to Lily. Now, all of a sudden, I'm on their side and protective. Yeah. I mean, I get that you want to protect the people you love, but she loved Lily, too, and her parents did do something really unforgivable to Lily. Eh, anger can only last, like, 
three episodes at the max in this show, and she is running. She's running into the end of those three episodes. I guess. Back in Storybrooke, Rumpel knocks on the door to Regina's office, and Maleficent's like, "Protection spell, motherfucker! What you gonna do?" Yep, and he does the thing where he bounces off against the protection spell so that we can see the CGI, and he just starts chatting at Maleficent, talking about his evil plan and blah blah blah. But it turns out this was just a distraction so Will could crawl in through the window. And t- okay, so yep. he said that Will Scarlet could crawl in through the window and steal the heart out of the desk because Regina's protection spell might keep out big magic people, but it wouldn't do anything to stop a common thief. Which why would it not? Why would a protection spell not keep out everyone? Why didn't she just lock her window? We know Will is not a good thief. Just a normal, just a normal lock would have kept him out. So, Emma and Regina are having a conversation about acceptable times to murder people, because uh, yep, because Emma is ready to murder Lily to protect her parents. And Regina's like, uh, like as much as I would love to see Mary Margaret and David eat it, don't you think that would make you a villain? And Emma's like. It's the real world. People aren't heroes and villains. People are people. Yeah. Which? Yeah, she's right. People have complex motivations that bear more thought than hero and villain, which is a really interesting idea that maybe this show should explore in its episode Heroes and Villains coming up. Spoiler alert, it does not. Anyway, back in the past, Emma is getting ready to get a bus the fuck out of there when Lily shows up because she is also on the, uh... She's on the run. And I was like, why don't you just go back to your rich family? And Lily's all, they kicked me out. After our little adventure, they kicked me out. I am literally in your position now. Lily talks about how she keeps trying to do the right thing, but she keeps stumbling into the wrong thing, and it's like there's a darkness inside her that she can't escape. It's like there's some sinister force that's working against her that's keeping her in the dark. But when she's with Emma, it's the only time she feels like she's in the light. It's like they're the angels from Hancock. God. But honestly, this did make me assume that if Lily and Emma had stayed together, the whole darkness being inside of Lily thing would have kind of evened out like they would have evened each other out and Lily wouldn't have had to carry the burden of the darkness alone and Emma would have had you know would have taken a little bit of that on yeah which we actually get to see a little bit of that later with a different character about how you can't just put the bad part of yourself somewhere else so back in the present Lily is speeding towards Storybrooke It's getting all fast and furious here because Emma is hot on her tail and she's going to do some fancy driving here. Emma's hot on her tail. Hello. But Emma manages to flip Lily's car in front of the bug. It's a crazy Ivan where she breaks hard so that the car spins out and then she's in front of Lily so that Lily is, you know, stuck. Yeah. And Lily storms out of the car and uh, Emma confronts her. Yeah, and Lily's like, well, your parents fucking suck because they put all your darkness inside of me, so I'm going to kill them. Yeah, I've had to deal with this my whole life. They screwed me over on literally the most fundamental level. I never had a chance, 
So I'm going to go to Storybrooke and I'm going to fucking murder them. And then Lily and Emma just start punching each other. And Emma's so upset that, like, the lights shatter on her bug and darkness falls over the land. And Regina's like, oh, fuck, shit got real. And we haven't talked about this in a while, but this is one of those things where it's just two real people really wailing on each other. It's not pretty violence. You're right. We haven't talked about that in a while. And yeah, that's that's what's happening. It's not re- it's not fantasy it's not fantasy violence. God, it's weird how much this episode did not intrigue me considering how interesting it is in theory that this episode was getting back to its roots, you know. It was Emma I'm sorry, I was just thinking it came back wrong. It came back wrong. There's so much season one stuff in here with Detective Emma and the car crash and now... And the wolf and... and Yeah, and now the kind of like what a... What like the brutality of the real world. But you know what, Max? This episode was just boring. Yeah, this... Yeah, no, it's, it's just more wheel spinning. There's a lot of wheel spinning until the end of this season, which is unfortunate. And the thing is, the end of this season is not good either, but I'm so excited to talk about how much I hate it. So, Emma pulls a gun and Lily's like, look, just end it. My life has been awful. I'm hardwired for evil. It's better for everyone if you just kill me and get it over with. Because if you don't, I'm going to destroy everything. And Regina's like, um, sweetie, I was totally on your side about killing Cruella. But if you shoot Lily in cold blood, you're pretty much just hardcore villain at that point. Regina plays this really low-key. She tells her, this is not the right thing to do. I actually really like this scene. I really like Regina in this scene. This episode's been not great. None of the character motivations really make any sense. People just do things to fill time. But I like the rawness of this. Lily was screwed on a fundamental level by two people, and she's looking for revenge. Emma's... I don't want to say she's got this darkness in her now, but she's willing to do things she wasn't willing to do before. God, you know what would have made this episode so much better? If, like, the whole thing had been from Lily's point of view. If we had opened with the scene that it closes with, where the sorcerer's apprentice is telling her what snow white and charming did to her and then the whole episode was her getting ready to kill snow white and charming and then it had ended on this scene again a perspective flip would have been really good i'm sorry i love the shots here because there are these wide shots of just like the edge of the road just from far away you see emma and lily and regina just standing on the edge of the road and they're really really pretty shots yeah and Emma just puts the gun down. She's like, no, my family's hurt you too much. No, we're not doing this. So then we cut to the past where Lily has gotten on a bus, not to Boston, which is strange because I thought all buses went to Boston. All buses go away from Boston. It's just some of them are going in the wrong direction. But she's looking at her necklace on the bus when bus pervert. Oh, I know, right? Like, there's so many creepy implications in this episode like she is a runaway child and there's a guy talking to her in a very creepy manner it's the sorcerer's apprentice it's fine we know it's fine but the optics are not great yeah he's like 
that's a lovely necklace. It really complements your birthmark. And she's like, what a weird thing to say to someone. Yes. And I get it. It's because it's a star and a moon. But yeah, but still. She's like, get away from me, creepy. And he's like, I can sense that you have many questions, but I have many answers. And you're a victim of fate. So everything in your life is going to be shitty and awful because of fate. And I'm going to tell you about fairy tale people, even though I shouldn't be telling you this. But I need to get you in position for the rest of the episode. Also, I just want to point out that Lily is sitting in the window seat on the bus and he's sitting on the aisle seat, which means that he has her trapped in that bus seat. He basically tells her everything, which is why she shouldn't have had the conspiracy board. He literally tells her everything. Yeah, like in just plain English. He doesn't even give her clues or anything. He's like... He does what every character in the show should do anytime anyone gets amnesia. This is what happened. Your mother was Maleficent. You were stolen by Prince Charming and Snow White, and they threw you into a pit that brought you to this world, but not before that they filled you with all of the evil of their child, which is why you always make bad decisions. Now, we see the start of this explanation. We see him start to tell her, and then we know that she knows the truth, and now we're going to jump back to the present. But what a long conversation that must have been before he convinced her that he was anything other than... A crazy dude? Yeah. Yeah. We cut from that to Lily sitting with Emma on a bunch of rebar that's just on the side of the road. Sure, why not? And they're having a nice, cool down, nobody got shot conversation. They must have so much adrenaline right now, which is weird because they're having a quiet conversation. Lily refers to herself in this conversation as the anti-savior, which is great and I love it. Yeah. I was like, don't do that. But I'm like, no, let her do it. It's cute. It is cute. And she's like, hey, Lily, you want to come on a road trip? It'll be fun. Come on. We're going to go save Robin Hood from the Wicked Witch of the West. And Lily's like, wow, this is so much stupider than I thought it would be. And Emma's like, welcome to my life. All right. So back in Storybook, Will Scarlet goes back to his girlfriend and is like, hey, by the way, some bad people took your heart because you are super not careful around very evil people. Um, here it is. Regina took it, by the way. Feels like, why would Regina take my heart? And... Nobody has an answer for her because there's no reason. Yeah, Rumpel, Rumpel shows up and he's like, to use it as a weapon against me. And Bill's like, oh god, were you two working together? Seriously, Will? Seriously? And Will Scarlet's like, well, I mean, we had to get your heart back. Rumpel says, well, the one thing we have in common is that we, we both care for you and... I want to emotionally manipulate you some, so if we could just have, like, a conversation. So I feel like, by the way, when we see Belle's heart, it has a decent amount of darkness in it. Well, she did throw Anna off that cliff. I mean, she didn't. She just didn't do anything to stop her from falling off. Well, I just like that it it's not blackened like a piece of coal, like Rumbles got- is. It's just got some kind of, it like looks like ink just floating prettily inside of it. I think that Belle is a character who has come to terms with her darkness in a way that literally no other character in the show has. Mm. Mm. It's the laciness. The laciness of it all. I sort of hate this because Rumpel's like, it's okay, Belle. I'm giving you to Will. It's fine. Ugh. He can have you now. And then he walks out and Will takes her hand and she pulls it away. So she can look after Rumple as he's leaving. And I'm like, really? That should not have worked. Okay. So, uh, 
God. Are we're, we... we're ending this on a strong note. Because Regina, Emma, and Lily show up at Robin Hood's apartment. But Robin's like, Regina? What are you doing here? He's like, I thought you were going to leave me alone so that I could fall back in love with my wife like the cookie told me to. And Regina's all like, oh, she, she's not uh, she's not who she says she is. She's my sister, Zelina, the Wicked Witch. You know, you had an encounter with her once. And then Robin, like, doesn't believe her. He's like, Regina, I told you it's over. And it's like, this is, are you not, really? You're really not going to believe her. Yeah, she's like, no, she killed Marion. And took her place, and he's like, uh, I think I would know if my wife was actually an evil witch pretending to be my wife. Which is a very good point, to be fair. He really should have noticed that his wife was really an evil witch pretending to be his wife. Anyway, Marion, Marion, comes back, and Robin Hood's like, hey, listen to this nonsense that Regina's spouting. And, uh... Marion is like, oh my god, you're right, that's total bullshit. Oh my god, what you want from me? Except it's not bullshit. I am Zelina. <laughs> Evil. Yeah, once upon a time is like, we're done paying the actress who plays Maid Marion, she's just gonna be Zelina now. Yeah. Uh anyway, Regina's like, okay, so now we're all on the same page. Robin, come back to Storybook. Yeah, grab your son, grab the most adorable child ever, and we'll just leave. Cause honestly, I mean Emma was concerned that re- Emma's like, you're going to kill Zelina. But no, her plan is to leave Zelina in New York. What's she going to do? It's- right. <laughs> but Robin can't leave because you see Zelina's pregnant. And somehow that means that he can't leave her. Well, I can understand not wanting to, to leave his kid with a. Uh... Yeah. Like major spoilers. This is I think I knew that. Yeah. Anyway, so this episode, I enjoyed it when I was watching it, but dear God, is it hard to talk about. Look, this this episode is a table-setting episode. It just, it's not a wheel-spinning episode. It's not. It's we a do- table-setting episode. It's an episode that gets characters where we need them to be. And it's frustrating because it does it in a way that doesn't really care a lot about making the story make sense. It's just doing it quickly and then inserting the Sorcerer's Apprentice to... to... Fill in plot holes. Yes. So that's what happened in this episode. But next episode, we get some CGI dragons. Yeah, and we're going to have a very special guest, which will be a ton of fun. Yes, that will be fun. Meanwhile, we don't really have segments because no one wore anything nice and nothing Disney-like happened. Our show is partially patron-supported. If you want to be one of those patrons, you can support us over on our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. Another way you could support the show is by helping us out by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. And if you have a question or comment, send us an email at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or tweet at us at ilovetvzines. So until next week, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke.